For the past five years, at least, whenever I walk past the street lamp on Prospect Street Northwest in Georgetown, the light goes out. It's been a regular occurrence since I saw the ghost of Albert Clemens on the top floor of the Halcyon House while leading our Ghosts of Georgetown walking tour in D.C. And it's not just this one particular lamp. He has been following me around everywhere. The experience has elicited screams from tour guests when it happened on the outskirts of a deserted cemetery one night and squeals from school kids when the lights flickered on the tour bus after I told them the story. So the question is, do you believe in ghosts? guide tell all and i'm candon joining you for another week in fact you'll hear from me a lot this month all october we'll be exploring the ghostly scandalous darker side of dc and y'all that is my forte two of my books are from the wicked series after all almost every city worth visiting has a ghost story or two and many of them are told by tour guides to brave visitors here in D.C., we visit Georgetown on our ghost tour. So as you walk down the street and you come to the house and house on the corner, it really does stand out from all the rest. It was built in the 1790s by Benjamin Stoddard, who's Secretary of the Navy. And some past residents say they have seen him sitting in a rocking chair as they walk by. But Stoddard's never bothered me. A couple of years ago, I was giving this tour to a group of 11-year-old boys for a birthday party. And I'm standing underneath the lamppost to tell them the story of Albert Clemens, no relation to Mark Twain. Albert Clemens was an eccentric soul. He thought that he had been bit by a vampire. And once you're bit by a vampire, when you die, you become a vampire. And he did not want that for his eternal soul. So he developed his own religion, one that would keep his eternal soul alive forever. So it could never become a vampire. He believed that if he continued work on his earthly abode, that he would never die. So the house on the corner, after he purchased it, he started to make renovations. They started out standard. Fixing a window or a door, adding a room here and there, but then he started to run out of the normal things that you do to a house. So he did abnormal things. He added rooms too small for furniture, stairs that led nowhere, Doors on the upper floors that opened out into nothing. So much work was going on in the house that he actually rented out one of the rooms to a carpenter in order to always be working on the house. He had to rent out some of the rooms in order to pay for all of this. There was a couple of rules if you wanted to rent from him. First of all, you could only stay in a room for one year. If you lived on the west side of the house, you'd have to move to the east side of the house the next year. He wanted to make sure the house remained balanced. But the biggest rule, no electricity. He refused to have it added to the house. It was the devil's work and it had nothing to do with it. Those were actually the words I was saying to this group of 11-year-old boys when the light in the lamppost went out. Now, yes, it was a little weird, a little creepy. We all got chills, but I just thought, wow, this is great for the tour. I honestly did not think much about it. 
I continued the stories. I told them that the house at that time was currently, there was no one living in there. It was under renovations. As we walk by the house to head to the next location, one of the boys points up and at the top row of windows, hanging from the balustrade, was a noose. We're all staring at the noose, trying to figure out why it's not really something you often see at a construction site. But no one can figure it out, and I kid you not, as we're looking at the noose in the window above it, a tall, dark, shadowy figure with a wide-brimmed hat appears. I run screaming down the street. The first time I told this story to some unsuspecting soul on a tour at a later time, I said, oh, and the, never saw the 11-year-old boys again. But in reality, I, you know, they were running right behind me got a text from their mom at like three o'clock in the morning saying, oh my God, they're still awake. And I immediately replied because so was I. It honestly was a very eerie experience and I refused to lead that tour for years afterwards. But it turns out it didn't matter whether I led the tour or not. Because as I started to tell the story to other people as to why I did not want to lead the Ghost of Georgetown tour, Lights would slowly turn on and off or flicker as I walked by. So I think that Albert Clemens is stalking me. But he seems friendly, at least. He just wants to remind me of the dangers of electricity. Georgetown is centuries old. In fact, it's older than the nation's capital, with Georgetown being established in the 1750s. Georgetown is and has been the home to the rich and famous, but it's also the, the slums of West Washington. It's been a poor immigrant community. It has had the rough and tumble lives of sailors and canal boatmen, unsolved murders, the walking dead from nearby Civil War battles, and one of the largest markets of enslaved persons in the district. So if you believe that ghosts come from tortured spirits, you do not have to look hard to find stories of tragedy here. Take, for example, the Colonial Apartments on 30th and N. It was originally Miss Lydia English's Seminary School for Girls, a boarding school for the well-off and proper ladies of the neighborhood in the mid-19th century. So at the beginning of the 1860s, as the American War proved to be longer, tougher, and more deadly than anyone thought, the hospitals in the city filled. So those broken and bloody soldiers were laying down on the pews of churches, the halls of the Capitol, and the beds of boarding houses. This became Seminary Hospital during the Civil War. And when I say hospital, don't imagine, don't imagine doctors with training. Imagine butchers with hacksaws. No anesthesia, you'd get a bullet to bite down on through the screams. Now the lucky ones, they, they were the ones that were killed instantly on the battlefield. So if you were shot in the arm or the leg or something easy to chop off, that's what they did. And as the days passed by and the limbs were amputated, piles of discarded body parts got higher and higher on the side of the street, waiting for young boys with carts to come pick them up. They were sitting in the hot and humid sun and the gardens of the nearby grand mansions. They had a different smell back then. 
to add insult to actual injury, the cast-off body parts of the unlucky soldiers were often scavenged. Yes, you know, by the neighborhood stray dogs and rats, but also by the neighbors. You see, Georgetown was a southern city. Most of the wealth of the neighborhood came from the institution of slavery, and the residents were the wealthy white plantation owners. And these Confederate-supporting women developed a new fashion trend during the war. Necklaces, earrings, bracelets made from the bones of Union soldiers. One woman even turned a skull into a chalice from which she drank her wine. And while this building definitely has some tortured souls in its past, they do seem to have remained in the past, with no present-day ghost sightings. But that can't be said of all the buildings in Georgetown. The oldest building in Georgetown is the Old Stone House. Built from stones quarried from the nearby Potomac River, it was built in the 1760s. It is a quaint three-story cottage with a large, well-kept back garden. Now, it's been many things throughout the years. It was a clockmaker's shop, a tavern. It was a used car sales lot for a while. And it's often reported as one of the most haunted buildings in Washington. There is the image of Christopher Lehman, the German immigrant who built the house. Antebellum women of all ages, the spectral vision of a young enslaved boy. And then there is George, a disgruntled spirit who pulls the ponytails of young girls, pushes down grown women to the floor. He has even been accused of sexually assaulting women in the third floor bedroom. Two years ago for WTOP News, uh, Will Vitka and his wife went around uh, all of Washington, D.C., kind of on a, on a ghost hunt. Uh, and they visited the old stone house in the middle of the night on two separate occasions. Uh, he writes about it in an article. I'll put it down in the show notes. Uh, he, you know, he talks about how he feels creepy visiting, but nothing really happens until he goes back and he listens to the recording that he had uh, taken while he was visiting there. And they hear something on the recording. I am currently home alone recording this, so I am too scared to listen to the recording. But they say about nine seconds in, you can hear uh, someone yelling or like a, a, a man grunting, maybe the word no, um, during a brief pause where Will is kind of debating over something. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to listen to it. I trust him. So if you want to, for yourself, you can, uh, you can read the article that I put down in the show notes. So our Ghost of Georgetown tour is, it's actually family friendly and it welcomes all ages because not every ghost story is scary. So if you walk down Dunbarton Avenue, there's this beautiful brick house. It's up on a hill. Uh, it has a white picket fence. With the financial ebbing and flowing throughout the years, at one point, a family who lived in the house had to start renting out some of their rooms. The house is it's about half a block away from Wisconsin Avenue, which is the main thoroughfare for travelers coming from Maryland back then and today. A young woman rented a room in this house, and she got on splendidly with the children, so much so that they asked her to stay on as nanny. Now, she agreed with one condition. She had a strict rule of lights out at 10 p.m. Now, this was not a hard rule for a family with young kids and no electricity to follow. Uh, but as the kids got older and they had kids of their own, she remained in the house and the lights went out at 10 o'clock. She would eventually pass away quietly in her sleep one night. A few days passed, they clean out the room, move in one of the older kids, uh, and he's preparing for bed when the candle blows out. 
a draft from an open window. He doesn't think much of it until it happens again the next night at 10 o'clock. And then the next, and the next, and the next, and every night since. It happens so often that they call it the 10 o'clock ritual. So do the lights still go out at 10 o'clock? Well, you'll need to join us on our Ghost of Georgetown tour to find out. I'll leave you with one final note about the darker side of Georgetown. No mention of Georgetown's eerie vibes is complete without a visit to the Hitchcock Steps. <laughs> Haven't heard of those? Well, you probably know of them by a different name. In the 1970s, a movie called The Exorcist was filmed here. Now, Candon, you might say, there's nothing eerie about a movie being filmed in Georgetown. And while, yes, aside from the fact that cast and crew were killed or permanently maimed on the set, or that things would levitate on the director's desk, the filming of a movie is not that eerie. What is, however, is the fact that The Exorcist is based on a true story. A young boy named Roland Doe in the 1940s. He could toss desk aside with a mere thought. He spoke in a guttural tone, reciting biblical verses in their original Latin, a language he did not speak. The words die and hell appeared carved into his skin. A newspaper article about this event caught the eye of a Georgetown student named William Blatty, who wrote The Exorcist years later. There are so many supernatural sights, eerie coincidences, unexplained curses, but also real true crime stories from Georgetown. So many that we have two tours, a family-friendly ghost tour and an adults-only scandals tour. So you should come join us for both sometime. I'll be back next Monday to tell you about an abandoned cemetery with ties to murder, body snatching, and satanic cults. But first, Rebecca and Becca will be with you on Thursday for a full episode about Christopher Columbus, an equally evil figure in the grand scheme of history. Tour Guide Tell All is researched, written, edited, produced, and literally everything by Becca Grawl, Rebecca Factor, Dan King, and me, Candon Arseniega. All tour guides with free tours by foot in Washington, D.C. Want to get special bonus episodes? Sign up to be a patron. Your support literally keeps us going. If you're interested in my book, Wicked Georgetown, you can purchase a signed copy from our merchandise store. Find the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening.